girls, welcome to the Industry 4.0 weekly live stream. So we got a special get, uh, special guest today. We got Zachary Stank from Phoenix Contact uh, on the Community Spotlight. Um, and also, just a quick reminder, Walker Reynolds is on sabbatical this month. He posted a video earlier last week. Many of you guys did see that video. Thank you. And uh, so he will be back in August, but we're going to continue our weekly live streams this month. And so we've also got a special segment after the Community Spotlight today. So uh, it's a special webinar that, you know, I was on last week and I wanted to kind of restream it here today. So, but uh, without any further ado, let me uh, introduce um, Mr. Zachary Stank, the Community Spotlight. Hi, Zach. How are you? Good, good. Good to have you on here. And so um, I, what I want to do is I want to dive straight into it. You know, real quick, I do want to I do want to make a quick shout out to everyone that has already purchased the PLC Next Starter Kit. I will leave a link down below. Um, and right now it does look like those are going to be shipping. Uh, you're gonna, if you pick it up today, estimated delivery is in between um, September and December. So you can still get it this year if you put the order in today. Um, unfortunately, you haven't already purchased it. Um, we're going to be doing our PLC Next workshop in the month of August. So if you've already purchased the CNX work uh, starter kit, it's probably already on the way if you haven't already got it. And we're going to be doing that PLC next workshop next month. So, um, but we're, we're always going to be opening, we're opening up mentorship again in, in, in December. So if you guys haven't already joined you, there's still to join, but I just wanted to say, pick up your PLC next starter kit today. So, uh, with that being said, um, are the shades from swag up? No, Dan. <laughs> The, that would be that's actually a good we are going to do a new we are going to do you know the swag packs many of you guys have uh, received it already with the phoenix contact hat and you know the phoenix contact rambler a few other things so thank you guys for the sharing those photos that was really awesome and thank you uh you know phoenix contact for sponsoring the swag packs absolutely it was our pleasure we love what you guys are doing in the community and uh you know anything to get more of the 4.0 out there uh we're game so so typically on these type of, you know, streams, we kind of typically or you know, people would be like, oh, so tell us your background story. But I don't I do want to get to your background story, but I really want to dive into the PLC next for anyone that doesn't already know, like what it what it's about or, you know, the whole ecosystem of limitless automation. Why don't you explain that? Yeah, sure. I hope the echo wasn't on my end there. Uh, hopefully took care of it. But um, yeah, so PLC next is really the the next piece of automation from Phoenix Contact. And it was, you know, this has been in development for several years. Phoenix Contact has had controllers all the way back to the, the late 80s. We've done a lot of control um, over the years. And, you know, one thing that, that really pushed development with this was, you know, it's in the name, it's what's next. And, and the big thing that we keep seeing when we would go to different um, suppliers or we would go to different customers was this, this need to be open. You know, the, the IIoT um, moving forward and, and everybody's talking about being open, whether it's MQTT, OPC UA, you know, just general Ethernet. Openness has always been the thing that, that has driven the development of this product for us. So it, it's really cool to be a part of, of a company and a team that's, that's doing a lot. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the big thing for us has always been open. And, and when we say open... And you'll see this when you're in, you know, you're doing the mentorship program and you're doing um, some of the, the work with PLC Next is it's Linux, it's IoT ready, and it's um, revolutionary. So it's it's really open to the core, like like it says on the box. Okay, so 
Linux, it's IIoT ready, it's open to the core. Um, why why did you guys take that approach? So, you know, it, it was actually a pretty easy decision for us as a company um, because we weren't, you know, seen as a market leader in control. Certainly we had areas within automotive where we've been doing a lot of work with Audi and BMW, you know, some of the, the big three here in the U.S. as well still used Interbus, which is our initial um, serial network. And, you know, as, as we got into it, the openness with our IO platform, we do a lot of IO for a lot of different networks we saw that need in the market and it's really driven our decisions moving forward so you know when, when it came back to the drawing board and the initial proposal was you know what are we going to do for our next control the thought was well we could go closed and make it you know the next closed thing that we have or let's <laughs> let's embrace this openness like everybody coming out of college right now has done you know c plus plus c sharp it seems there's you know openness throughout um, Raspberry Pi, Arduinos, you know, Linux is really taking on big within the community and let's just go that route. Like we have nothing to lose with doing this. And it really seems like this is the next big wave. Let's go that way. And, and as we pursued it, you know, and, and development continued to occur, we realized that we were on the right path and it only encouraged us to keep developing it. So it, it's really been a, a push from the community. And I say the community, I mean the larger industrial community as a whole. And we see that, you know, within the automotive sector, we see it within process with places like OPATH and OPAS, you know, trying to open up the the standards within the process control sector, um, you know, and, and just openness and having this community driven, you know, need to be open is really the IIoT message that everybody's been embracing here and especially in the industry 4.0 community. Awesome. Yeah, no, and Phoenix has been, I mean, really that's why we, you know, we don't just partner with everyone. We partner with people that align with our values and our mission. And, um, you know, that's, I think where the partnership came, you know, came to be so naturally and so organically. Yeah. Um, so I, I do have a question. How has the starter kit been received? You know? So this, the starter kit's been amazing. I mean, uh, through real pars and, and through our own distribution channel here in the U S we've frankly hit a point where we couldn't supply the demand that was out there. Um, so we, we, I think, uh, a couple of our distribution partners might have some in, I think real pars is still selling it. I mean, people want a low cost open solution that they can work with. And, and honestly, it's, it's been great for a lot of users out there. You, you know, you want to get in and, and try an industrial control system. You know what? 500 bucks. Isn't that, um, terrible amount of money to spend, especially when the software is free, there's no licenses with it, you know, just go on and start working with it. Um, that, that's really been the biggest thing for us is, is adoption by, you know, having it available. Okay. So, you know, and I, I do want to bring up, I mean, that price is actually pretty unbelievable that you can get it, you know, the whole kit, it looks like it's probably like a loss leader, but you know, let's talk about the processors. I know cause there's like a 12 or, and then there's like a 20, uh, there's like a, um, a one and then there's like a two series, right? So how do the yeah. different processors work and what are like the breakdowns on? what horsepower I'm going to get with this one versus like the more, you know, advanced one or also the, uh, the standalone edge PC that was kind of recently introduced. Yeah. So a uh, little bit of alphabet soup here or number soup, if you will. So there, there's three levels of the PLC next, uh, platform. There's the 1152, 2152 as one level. There's the 3152 as its own separate level. 
and then the 4072S, which is like the highest tier that we have at the moment. Um, the 1152 and the 2152 are pretty similar in terms of performance. Uh, the 1152 has one core instead of two cores available, uh, but they're your generals. You know, if you're used to using an ILC 131, or you know, maybe you're talking about a, a Compact Logics or something like that, or a, you know, one of the smaller Siemens controllers like maybe a 1200. Um, you know, that's kind of where we're at with the 1152 and the 2152. The difference in, in those two, like I said, is really on the cores available um, from the processor. And you have and the dual, dual core or at the base level? On, yeah, dual core on the 2152. And then the 1152 is, um, is the single core processor. And that's it's also got a lower price point too. So if you're looking at repeating lots of things or doing, you know, uh, a ton of these in, in small machines. That's really a, a more, you know, um, low cost option for you with with a little bit less horsepower on it. Then the thirty one fifty two is is a little slightly bigger in terms of form factor, but it's also got more horsepower. It's about two and a half times more powerful than the twenty one fifty two. So it goes a little bit faster. It has uh, more RAM, so you can do more uh, processing on it and more storage uh, on it. And then the 4072 is really like a high-end, you know, it's actually a safety PLC as well. So if you're looking for full factory automation of multiple lines and, and multiple things and you want to use ProfiSafe, um, you can use that as, as your like really high-end PLC. Uh, and then you may, you, you message, I'm sorry, you mentioned the, um, the Edge PC, the, and that's the, uh, now I, I got to get my numbers together. So it's a 50, I think it's a, oh no, they're going to, they're going to kill me because I got it wrong, but it's, there's two edge PCs. Essentially the difference on the edge PC is, um, of course it's a PC and not a, a, um, PLC, which means that you can have, um, an embedded PC work. I'm sorry, not PC works. It's our old platform an embedded PLC next technology, which is the platform we use uh, for PLC next. Um, but it also has mass storage available. Uh, on on the unit itself, so something like uh, a thirty one fifty two and uh, the eleven oh one or the fifty one oh one, I believe, is they're kind of comparable in size and performance. The biggest thing is that you're going to have that solid state drive on the the, the edge PC, where you wouldn't Ooh. have something like that on a uh, the the PLC hardware. Would you compare that solid state drive though? Uh, on the HPC, would you kind of compare that? Well, I mean, you're probably going to have more storage than the onboard SD card that you can get, but yeah. could you do something similar using the onboard, the, the Phoenix Contact SD card inside of the PLC Next to store? Yeah, so you can. I mean, uh, the storage is limited when you go to the SD card. It's just kind of the, the function of an SD card. So it, uh, the way we, we break it down for our customers, if, if you're really looking for doing lots of data collection and you want a local, you know, database of stuff, you can do that on a flash card. Um, the SD card will get you so many reads writes, but we also want to make sure that you're selecting the correct product for your needs. So if you're looking to do something where you're taking, you know, samples four times a day and each one of those is going to be, you know, hundreds of lines of code or something like that, maybe having a solid state drive for the money, is probably going to be a better bet than just having a standalone PLC. Um, and, and then also with with, with the um, embedded hardware on it, 
you know, you can do Windows or, you know, bring your own Linux if you wanted to, but you could do some of the stuff that you wouldn't be able to do on a PLC um, in that in that fashion. So. And so the idea is that I could write my library using the PLC Next Engineer software and then deploy to whether it be, you know, a PLC Next PLC or a PLC Next Edge device and run, you know, run it from the same kind of interface. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, uh, within PLC Next Engineer, the only difference it would be was replacing the controller. So inside of, of the tree structure, you essentially can go in and say, yeah, I want to do a 2152 or, you know, if I decide that I want that mass storage, all the code stays the same. I can just add in a, uh, you know, one of our edge PCs. And now I have that as my main controller and I can add IO via um, the ethernet cable then. So I can do, uh, I believe Profinet off of that. What you can do Profinet off of the edge PC. I, it might be Modbus. I, I'll have to double okay. check on that one. So oh, that's interesting. That, yeah. So yeah, you no, can expand IO off of it, but you have to do it through uh, what we call a bus coupler or, or an Ethernet head station. So. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. And then tell us about your um, cloud connectivity support. What options do you have? Yeah. So natively, natively, we connect to our own cloud. Um, so when I say natively, I mean it's essentially a checkbox within the PLC programming software. If you want a data point to go into the cloud, we can do that with Profi Cloud by just checking a box and Profi Cloud is our, our cloud solution. It's an industrial cloud solution. It gives you the ability to do um, really just data capture. You can do some dashboarding with it. It, it. it can be powerful on the dashboards, but it's it's definitely not a replacement for AWS or Azure or one of the big players there. So kind of like baby steps, if you know what you're doing or you think you have a good idea what's going on, um, maybe Profi, Profi Cloud is a good way to go. But then if you've already been hooked into a cloud, you know, corporately, you guys have an AWS structure, you're using unified namespace, you know, Azure, whatever you're trying to do. We have function blocks that you can use directly within PLC Next. Um, the hardware itself, I'm sorry, within the, the controller software, PLC Next Engineer. And then you can also do it through the Linux platform, too. So um, you can make it a, a green grass device and go right up to AWS and, and be good to go. Wow, that's freaking cool. Even yeah. the even the. Um... The PLC version of the PLC Next, obviously. Yeah, PLC and, and the PC version. Both of them, you could do that. Got it. Yeah. That's freaking Actually, cool. the, the PC version as well. So, um, you know, it, it, it comes with um, it comes with uh, Node-RED already installed on it. So if you want to do Node-RED out to the cloud or you already have stuff set up for that, you can do Node-RED directly to, you know, whatever cloud solution you want to use as well. Awesome. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. Node Red, there's a lot of capabilities to do some like mm -hmm. dashboarding and prototyping and connecting yeah. to different data sources. All right, yeah, um, awesome. So if you guys do have any more questions about the PLC Next, leave them in the chat below. I do wanna, I do wanna ask you, Zach. I said because I said I would that I want to know like how did you get started at Phoenix Contact? How long you've been there? And how'd you get in this industry? Awesome. So <laughs> I think my 10 year anniversary at Phoenix Contact was yesterday or <laughs> or Sunday. Thank you very much. Yeah, 10 years here at Phoenix Contact. Uh, so I started out in, I was in quality for a defense contractor doing, uh, we, we, we can go into more uh, alphabet soup here if you want. So uh, MMPV, M MRAPs, um, M88, M109 manufacturing and first article testing of the automotive system. 
Uh, I did that right out of school. I'm trained as a chemical engineer, so it was a little bit of a strange way to come around uh, to that. But, um, you know, I, I came to Phoenix Contact. They had an open house in April of, oh no, it was, yeah, April of 2011. And I wanted something closer to home. And, you know, I was driving about an hour each way every day down to the, 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 uh, the old job. And I, I actually passed Phoenix Contact every day on my way home, not knowing what it was. And so I went in and, and the first person I met at Phoenix Contact was the president of the Phoenix Contact, Jack Nalig. And he was greeting every single person that showed up at the door, which I had never met anybody beyond VP of a division you know, and that wasn't even a met that was, you know, they were talking in front of us and telling us, you know, how the stock price was doing at my old place. So, I mean, Jack, Jack is a wonderful man. If you, if you've never met Jack, he's fantastic. He, he really is the culture at Phoenix contact, um, you know, really pushing forward and making sure that that culture is first, that we are a very happy and easy place to go and, and being there and shaking his hand and him kind of giving us, you know, the lay of the land really just brought me in. As soon as I got out of there, I went online and I think I applied for every position that was open at, at Phoenix Contact, which by the way, isn't the greatest thing to do. If, if you're a young person out there watching this, that, that reeks of desperation when you do that. Um, <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe be a, a little bit more wise in, in the positions you apply for, but certainly, you know, I, I, in, in my time there during the open house, I met Ira Sharp, who, uh, Zach, you know, and Vaughn, you know, uh, Ira had just recently been promoted to manager. He brought me in for an interview and, you know, hired me up as a safety specialist. And then after eight years as a safety specialist, Ira got promoted to the director of automation. And then I uh, assumed Ira's role as the manager of our control safety and IO platforms. So that's really how I got into the, the PLC next uh, realm of things then too. But uh, within the product line, I mean, IO, safety, and control all kind of rest on the same platform. So it was an easy step up for me. Although some of this uh, newer Linux stuff, I'm, I'm still trying to learn. So okay, always time we, to learn. We have a couple of questions. One, um, thanks for sharing that. Alan asked, does it come with Sparkplug B? So the Sparkplug integration on PLC Next, uh, there is a proof of concept that we have that's on our GitHub. Uh, the, Phoenix Contact USA GitHub that we have, that is based around JavaScript. We're moving that into a, a I think the C base uh, platform on it, and it will be available hopefully by the end of the year on PLC Next. So, yes, that okay. we've we've seen a lot of Spark Plug B uh, from our user base. So that's certainly coming. Good. All right. And then, do you know where a playbook or manuals or demos for the starter kit? Yeah, so the best place to go for a starter kit is to the um, the PLC Next community. So that's Phoenix. Con I'm sorry, PLC Next Community.net. Um, if you go in there, they have a whole makers blog. They have uh, a getting started icon at the top, and that'll take you right to the PLC Next uh, starter kit page and let you know how to go on there and how to do things. So that's a, a perfect place to go. I see you're searching it here too. So. Uh, <laughs> plcnext-community.net. Hopefully it loads for you. Oh, yeah, and we do use cookies, so. Let's see. Yeah, there's tons of examples on here as well. Um, 
Another link you might be able to go to. Uh, so if you go to the top of the page there, Zach, there's, uh, there should be a drop down for knowledge base. Nice. Yeah. And then there's e-learning, which is really important uh, to get in there and learn a lot of stuff. And then the basics would be, I think that takes you right to the, the how to for the, um, for the, the starter kit. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And walk. Oh, perfect. Interactive online course. So if you guys haven't already, this comes, I mean, this is a free thing that you guys do for the community for anyone, right? You don't even have to have. Yeah. No, there's next. Yeah. You it, actually, if you just want to download the software and start working with it, there's no, you know, you don't have to put in any, um, credit card numbers or anything like that. So you can just go right on it, start using the software, build up some code and work with it. Oh, here, it, it opened it up in a new tab. Here's what it looks like. <laughs> You're probably like, what is he looking at? Interactive online course. So, yeah, and then our, our workshop, what we're going to do, Walker is actually, because he's on sabbatical this month, he's actually working on building a few uh, proof of concepts and demo applications inside of the next. And we're going to be leveraging that. We're going to be giving it out to the community Actually, we're going to be publishing it to our unified namespace so other people can plug their next into the unified namespace. That's what the whole workshop is about, is connecting the PLC next to the unified namespace in a, you know, in a, a workshop where we all connect, it to, connect them together. So we kind of create this hive mind. So that's, that's the, uh, the PLC next technology basics. Thank you for the questions. Hey, Dave Schultz, how's it going? Hey, Mario. Hey, Alan. Um, yeah, so if you guys do have any more questions for Zach or... For me or for Vaughn, um, do let us know. Uh, otherwise, we're we're in, in the next couple of minutes here. We're going to wrap it up, and then we're going to go into the the presentation for today that we've got for you guys. And uh, you guys don't want to miss that, so stick around for that. But um, do you have anything else you want to say, Zach? No, I did see in chat somebody uh, called out my PRS in the background. So yes, uh, thank you. <laughs> that's that's my baby. Um, but uh, no, I. Any, any questions about at PLC Next, you know, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm also in the 4.0 community. There's a bunch of the Phoenix contact team in the 4.0 community Discord. We're always ready to answer questions. Uh, our IT uh, products, or I'm sorry, our, our uh, tech support, I see that just came up. So our, our technical support here in the US is free. You can call in and, and ask questions and they'll help you with the basics of, of PLC Next. If you have more in-depth questions, we also have five uh, what we call ASE control, so automation specialists for control that are scattered around the United States. We can get you in contact with them. Um, they know, you know, can be a resource to get you a, you know, a loaner PLC Next starter kit. They can also, you know, come on site, teach you some things. So from a technical support uh, range, whether you're using PLC Next community whether you're using our, our general tech support uh, helpline here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, or if you're using any of our sales professionals out in the field, we got you covered. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you again, Zach. And um, with that being said, we're going to parlay into the next part of the stream right after this commercial break. All right. So that I just inserted an ad on YouTube. So. So yeah, let's go ahead and we're going to, so what I've got for you guys now is um, actually a, a video that is a webinar. It's about one hour and I want to 
I want to share it with you guys here. So make sure you kind of watch the whole presentation. It's with uh, Frank Lamb from the Automation Academy. And what he's done is um, during the first 20 minutes, he actually shares his entire customer system, like name, details, technology they're using and everything. So he kind of sets the stage and then I take over and kind of, you know, go over our standard presentation, but within the context of his application. So thank you, for, uh, Frank, for having me on your podcast. And I want you guys to pay attention to Frank's systems and see where where the unif where the where the capability gaps are and where 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 you might be able to help Frank and his customer. You enjoy it. I'm going to go ahead and uh, start a screen share here real quick. Uh, make sure that works out well. Hey Tim. Hey Vlad. Here we go. How's it going, Zach? Ah, uh, beautiful, beautiful day. Morning. Glad to be glad to be here. Yeah. Good morning. Cool. Yeah. So a couple people have jumped in. So hopefully everybody can see the little splash screen I've got up there. Um, I don't, I don't know what the best uh, method of doing these PowerPoints is. I don't, I don't make it fill the whole screen, everything. And I just kind of drag things back and forth over it as I need to show things. So everybody does things a little bit different. Um, I go right. ahead and kind of formally start it now. Again, my name's Frank Lamb. Um, everybody that is, is showing up on this feed here has actually been a guest on here so far. So um, they're already familiar a little bit with what uh, kind of what I do. I'm just a one man show here. So I'm a one person company used to have a machine building company with some employees and things and um, closed that company down in 2006 and went to work for a big machine builder and then restarted my company in 2012 as just me. Um, so what is this mastering the machine? I put a document out back in 2013 as a kind of a lead magnet, uh, opt-in incentive, whatever you want to call it. And people download that. And so that's where the name part of it comes from. And it's available for download still, although I don't do a ton with the email addresses that I collect. I've collected a bunch of them over the years, but I uh, haven't done a lot of marketing, but I do have this thing called the automation Academy. And the reason I started this Mastering the Machine webinar is because I belong to another group called uh, the Membership Academy that says if you create a membership site, you really ought to have live events every couple of weeks or so. And so that's what I do. I, I have these live events. And as the people here know, they've been guests on these before. Uh, so, you know, I, I try to feature some kind of a guest and have a different topic. Most of my topics relate to PLCs and HMIs or the projects that I work on down in Miami, which relates directly to what we're doing here. Um, so what I thought I'd do here is I'm gonna introduce Zach real quick and then go over my application, um, which I've been working on for about five years. And, and a lot of the things unbeknownst to us, we're making it up as we go along, but we use a lot of the same principles that uh, Walker Reynolds Expouses as far as unified namespace. We never called it that, but that's what we have. We have an ignition platform with one uh, source of truth for everything. Although it's probably not arranged quite the way that, that Walker would necessarily recommend. Uh, for anybody that does watch this later, I would recommend strongly that you go take this, this mini course. And uh, it did change location. And I found that out the hard way because I had a link in my Automation Academy to Intellic Automation. 
And all of a sudden I went there and I clicked on it and it didn't work. And so I repointed it, <laughs> repointed it to this. Uh, this is great. Uh, this is the source for where I'm getting a lot of my information. And I'll talk a little bit about a document that I put together that has a lot of definitions and things in it because it's easy to get lost uh, with all these terms, things like unified namespace and Node-RED and MQTT and all these acronyms and platforms and things. So I'll talk a little bit about that uh, at the end of this, probably after Zach's done. Um, so today's topic is Industry 4.0 and the industrial internet of things. Um, and one of the things that uh, Walker, of course, espouses is having a single source of truth called a unified namespace. Now, there's actually a definition for just namespace. You can go look it up on Wikipedia and find out what that kind of thing is. For those people who are familiar with programming, uh, they're already familiar with tags and things like that and structures, right, UDTs. So it sort of relates to that. And so what I did here is this is a kind of a composite map of, um, you know, some of the data maps, data flow maps that Walker has put on his um, on his whiteboards and things as he explains things. And I've kind of combined it with the way that uh, this company up here in the corner works, uh, American Beverage Depot. So a little bit, uh, my background is systems integration, machine building, and I have a grand total of about three customers that I regularly work with. Um, one would be a training company in Canada. So I, go, I used to go all over the United States and teach PLCs and HMIs, but a lot of that's kind of died down because of COVID. Uh, the second one is a local company, Automation MTH, and I do a lot of work with them still and train people. They still build machines and do a lot of programming, and I really don't help them with that. But they are somewhat involved with uh, IIoT. They espouse a lot of digital twin stuff because they build individual machines. So they build also digital twins of those machines for those who know what a digital twin is. And my third customer uh, is, I, I still do systems integration for this one customer and they've, uh, Juan Pablo Garbine, the owner of the company has actually been a guest on my uh, webinars here. And I've done several uh, of my webinars from American Beverage Depot. And so people may be familiar with some of the different machines that I have down there and things like that. I've talked a lot about those. And so the production process down there uh, there is SCADA, PLC, and devices, as you see here. I put SEPASoft barcode because that's what we're uh, looking at right now. And I know Walker's familiar with SEPASoft. Um, he's been talking about that. I put floated these things out here because they're all issues and things that we discuss at uh, American Beverage Depot when we talk about planning our systems. Uh, business enterprise, again, if you go through some of Walker's presentations, you'll talk about things like even if you don't have an ERP system, uh, you don't think you do, you probably do, right? And so in the case of American Beverage Depot, theirs is QuickBooks, as he mentioned. Um, and so we are pulling information, uh, trying to pull information directly out of QuickBooks, right? but right now we're doing some manual entry because of cybersecurity and things. You is it a QuickBooks Online or QuickBooks it, Online or is it an enterprise like QuickBooks? It's enterprise. Yeah, it's enterprise. It's on their server. So I'll show a little bit of here's kind of their 
network layout right now. And I'll, I'll kind of flip back and forth here. This is a basically a, a, the data connections to a lot of the plant floor stuff. Uh, their, their QuickBooks and most of their other stuff is on this enterprise network, right? So uh, if we need information, we can pass it to the server independently on the enterprise network. And yes, there are connections to the uh, web via this network, of course, through firewalls and things like that. And then this is a completely separate network. And we're having, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of data that we kind of manually put in on this network right now. We're still in the process of putting this together. This is the product flow through uh, the plant. So these are all the different machines and things that we've been trying to put together um, data acquisition systems for the last about five years. Five years ago, Juan Pablo, uh, who is the owner of the plant. So I have a very unique situation. I'm working directly with the owner of the plant. Uh, and I taught him much of what he knows um, about technology. He was a very technically minded person, but he was busy running the plant. He has a plant manager. Um, there are multiple owners of this plant, uh, but Juan Pablo and his sister own well over 50% of it. And then there's a, a minority owner or two in there and his dad's involved. They put this plant in in 2003 and it's a, um, a lot of the equipment in the plant is pretty old, but where we kind of started with this is this part of the system was already uh, had a SCADA system on it. It had an RSView 32 old school uh, slick 505 system. And we put ignition in originally to upgrade that. We needed to get something that was a lot more modern. So he bought ignition. Um, he's, he's a big beat people down on price and negotiate. And this was back when ignition was a little bit smaller and you could do that. You can't really do that so much anymore. And I'll, I'll talk about that and some of the implications that that's had. That's why we're looking at things like Tatsoft right now, because they have a little better deal and they have MQTT, which is kind of built in, right? So cost savings, it may be worthwhile to add this. Um, you know, rather than just at scabbing onto ignition, add a completely separate Tatsoft application in addition to this. Uh, but anyway, this is the product flow, and much of what we do as far as grabbing data comes from that product flow. So it started out, and it was kind of just a SCADA system running this, but all of a sudden we started having um, different issues. And I watched the entire, by the way, um, hour long. Uh, course yesterday. I had already seen the mini course, but I looked at, um, and I'm trying to find the name of this, uh, the one hour mastermind, the free mastermind. It's the first, uh, first hour, I think, of the presentation. And a lot of what he talked about there really kind of hit home for me, you know, where when you interview the customer, and of course, I work directly with the owner. As a matter of fact, he does most of the SQL work. He's very good with SQL, and he's very good with JavaScript and things like that. And I'm really good with the hardware part. I taught him a lot of his PLC skills and then a lot of his, uh, I guess, front end skills as far as uh, creating the screens and things in Ignition. And then he kind of went on his own and he spent a couple of years just working with SQL and, and a lot of this, uh, the data acquisition. And we started very quickly having issues that he needed to solve. He could have gone and used something like Visual Basic and he's had little apps created 
but they didn't work very well. So he's created everything in Ignition. His warehouse management system is in there uh, and it's self-created. It's just a big SQL database. Um, a lot of his barcode stuff is self-created, right? It's uh, He just scans stuff in and he, he's running all kinds of little, um, uh, I guess, where the rubber meets the road problems with like when people scan the wrong thing and it goes to the wrong location and people don't realize that when things arrive in the plant, shipping things out is easy, right? Um, when you when you send things out of the warehouse, you know where it's going to go and you know what the product is because you made it and you palletized it and everything else. But when you receive things, that's a completely different problem. And so we're spending a lot of our time now automating that process. When you receive things, um, you don't, number one, where they ordered, right? Is this even our product? You get a barrel of something and you don't necessarily know what it is. And the manufacturer does not give you um, what their barcode or necessarily is going to even look like, right? You may get computer equipment. You may get drums of, of juice. You, you don't know what you're going to get, right? So you kind of have to uh, work through that. That's a lot of where the integration part comes. Then you have some physical constraints like the guys on a forklift. Uh, he has a barcode scanner. If he scans something, uh, he doesn't necessarily have the ability even to hold like a tablet in his hand and scan with the other hand. Now, can you take the tablet and can you read the barcode and do that? Well, you could, but then you would have to kind of create drivers and get applications within that tablet and work on that. So right now what he's got is he's got a hand scanner and the thing has the ability to vibrate. So we give messages to the uh, the people that scan the stuff via the vibration. If it's not if it's not right, we can blink a light or we can vibrate the hand scanner. That all ends up in ignition. So a lot of the logic that goes in there is working, you know, hand in hand with the big SQL database. Well, there's at least probably eight databases in there doing different things. Uh, one of which we're going to try to transition to being the unified namespace. Right now, our our names, we do have a single source of truth, but they're in um, a lot of different kind of little directories and things depending on the machines. Uh, part of what Zach's probably going to talk about and what Walker espouses is going back to this, having an enterprise level, right? Kind of like building a UDT and having a site level and an area level. And something that hit home when I listened to Walker's presentations were do you ever plan to sell your plant? Well, they will never be more than a single location facility. They're a kind of a co-packer. Um, they do have their own products and they make juice and things like that. But they're, if they ever did sell out, it would be because somebody wanted what's called their Tetra lines. The Tetra lines, uh, Tetra packs are juice boxes and only a certain number of people are allowed to have make juice boxes within a geographical area. It's kind of like Alan Bradley, right? They'll, they'll only have a certain distributor within their area. Well, they're one of the Tetra Pak co-packers in that area. And Tetra Pak won't put another Tetra Pak, you know, capable company within a geographical area close to them. So if somebody did buy them, there is the possibility that they would do that just to acquire that Tetra Pak capability. So that's, that's something to think you're about. Building, you're building... Um... You're building IP for you're building IP for this client. That's the value. You're really building the unified. You're building like the unified namespace is the digit. It's like the digital twin. It becomes the business. It becomes more valuable than the business itself. That's right. right. Because so, it is the business. 
The interesting part <laughs> about this is I'm not. Actually, the owner is. So the owner is a guy that's probably not much older. I, I'm going to guess, Zach, and say you're in your late 20s to 30s. You, you're right at the age of Juan Pablo. Juan Pablo is probably, I'm, I'm going to say 33. He's brilliant. He's the owner of the plant and he does the work. He does most of the backend work and most of the database work. I have to catch up with him because he learns that stuff quicker than I do. Now, my expertise, I know plant floor equipment and I can take a machine that somebody else wrote the program for and modify that program and I noticed Walker was talking about being an expert in one platform. I'm kind of an expert in three or four. So I, I teach Alan Bradley and Siemens. So I'm very good at those. I've been doing them for many, many years. I also did a lot of GE in my earlier years. And when you look at this, that's one of our problems um, here. A lot of GE, a lot of old GE, a lot of 9030s. You cannot simply attach to those things and pull data out of them. I can modify the programs, no problem, but we've run into problems where when we tried to connect this directly, uh, put an ethernet card in there and just drill in and grab data out of it, it literally stopped the machines. Uh, and we don't know why. So that's one of our issues right now. How can we solve that problem? Can we change processors? Well, they're running you know, uh, every day. Uh, you could maybe swap a processor out on a, on a Sunday, maybe, <laughs> you know, it would be tough because if it didn't work right, uh, you better be up by that night. You're running CIP on those machines and you better be up and running by Monday morning. So we don't have a lot of downtime, even over Christmas, right? We, we may have two days of downtime at one time. So it's not, uh, it's not an easy thing to change these to something else. Um, what's interesting is when they bought these machines, um, GE was their platform, but they switched to Allen Bradley within a year or two when they bought those machines. So now everything's control logics. I could have gotten in there and done anything I would have wanted to with control logics, right? We could have swapped processors, upgraded as need be. But right now we're stuck with these. And it's easy to say, well, just put, a, put an Allen Bradley in there anyway. Well, the hardware part of these machines is much, much more expensive than the controls. It's not very complex what it does, but a lot of it is cam driven stuff. Uh, I showed a video of that, I think in the last webinar we did with Tim, I showed these, uh, they, they almost look like big transformer hands, right? Pulling boxes down and that's that machine. They're, uh, you know, e close to a billion dollar machines and there's three of them in there. You're not gonna swap controls out easily for that, even though, we did that exactly that here. Uh, this was all Seidel equipment and we completely changed this from the old slick stuff to control logic. So we're on a pretty good platform now. Um, you know, Walker uh, talks a lot, of course, about MQTT. We don't have any of that yet. Uh, I see a reason to do that now, but, but we can do everything with OPC because so much of our stuff is Alan Bradley and we're using Ignition. We can go grab data and pick up transitions as we need to. If we need to tie two machines together, uh, we do that. We, we have to kind of hear tying the syrup to the, these lines. But we, what we do is we sort of treat them as part of the syrup system. So if we get transitions um, in this data system, uh, I will say here, right? That's where I have this dotted line kind of over to these. We have a lot of individual sensors and things stuck out 
uh, on these lines in different rooms. We just have nodes sticking out there for CIP or the pasteurizers or, or whatever, but tied into this data system. That's been our shortcut. It's not easy to come into an existing plant and say, mentally, I'm, I'm going to just revamp everything and I'm going to build this architecture. And, you know, you have to work around what's already there. That's one of the things. Now, we've been able to swap things out. And like these, we voided any warranties on all these palletizers long, long ago. You know, we pulled everything out, kind of recoded it, converted it into what we wanted it to be. And because of that, we're able to grab any data we want to from any of these systems, right? This is the original one that we swapped, put the ignition on. And then now, of course, ignition's up here. It's not down here just on this system. It's up here on everything now. So that's kind of how we transition into that. And at this point, uh, I'm going to turn this over to Zach. And it's his turn. Uh, Zach Scriven is kind of a, I know you're a tech guy. I read a lot of your LinkedIn profile. Um, and you started working with Walker Reynolds several years ago, and then Walker had a company called Intellic and still does, I guess, and then kind of spun off this 4.0 solutions company, apparently, and that's maybe where you got involved, or? No, actually, um, I was kind of largely behind the, the driving force of that spinoff, so... Um... Walker and I, we, we started working together in 2013 uh, on an enterprise, a large enterprise SCADA project. And um, this was an oil and gas project that was enterprise wide. They had like five different assets. Each one of those assets was like an oil and gas company that they acquired, right? So they got, you know, like this would have been like a hundred million dollar SCADA system upgrade if like Wonderware or Rockwell tried to integrate it all, right? So through that process, this was an ignition project. This was the Firebrand award-winning project where Walker and I met. The one with like, originally it was like us four as developers, but it grew to like 19 developers. And over the course of that year, they ended up spending around $1.4 million. And so the, the cost of the way that we integrated it like was groundbreaking. So like we just realized we couldn't do things the way we were doing them before. So naturally, um, you know, out of, out of that project spawned like the gateway area network, right? This was actually before MQTT. If we had MQTT then, it would have been, it would have went even smoother, right? Um, so that was kind of us really learning the concept of the unified namespace in practice, right? We've, we identified the need and we really built it out, working with inductive and working with this large client to, you know, take the time that it, you know, it's, it was, it was a development lift, right? We had a, we developed a whole backend to manage our tag system that we, you know, instead of just kicking plus new tag and, you know, you enter in the information, we had a database that drove all of our tag creation. So when they wanted to bring a new asset online, we had that all module modularized and, um, you know, configured to just drop in new assets. So, you know, then we kind of went separate ways for a few years. I went and worked for a few other system integrators and uh, Walker spun off his, he started Intellic integration in like 2015, 2016. So um, in 2018, I had like this wild idea to, I was kind of unfulfilled in the job I was in. I was really working for like a legacy integrator at the time. And I really was just drawn to want to do more, right? I was actually working on a, um, a, let me, um, Sure. Would I be able to share here? Oh yeah. Let me let me turn it over to you. Um, stop here. And I know you have to do something funky here. Let's see. Multiple advanced sharing options. 
all participants. Now, I wish there was a way uh, to uh, give it to a specific person, but I think it works now. If you make me a co-host, that would work, but that that's the trust, way to trust do everyone it. here. By, know, the, by the way, I'm actually, always afraid somebody could grab this. You know, Vlad could take it right now. Vlad could, could share, and I could probably shut him off. Well, um, no, I, I actually, I do appreciate you setting the stage, and I do appreciate you having me on. And, you know, you're one of the few, actually, a lot of people on this call right now are some of the few content creators I actually trust in the industry that actually put value first before marketing. So, it's, it's actually an honor to be here um, presenting. I hope I am able to provide some value and some additional insight. And I just, I love how in deep you went with that customer, American Beverage Depot. Thank you for, you know, adopting the new technology and trying something new. And, you know, it's going to pay off. And we're going to get into industry 3.0 versus industry 4.0 here. And American Beverage Depot is kind of positioned in, in a way where they can capitalize on that 4.0 transition, right? Yep. You, you hear people talk about 75% of digital transformations fail or, you know, Walker says it's even higher than that. Over 90% of digital transformations fail. So what is it that makes the company successful, right? So it's, well, it really boils down to three things. It's the right technology. It's the right strategy. And it's the right partners, right? So American, American Beverage Depot is really, they've got all three right now. So let's kind of dive into what, um, what digital transformation is and what, what's the difference between industry 3.0 and industry 4.0. So we can kind of see, you know, from a 10,000 foot level, the transition that American Beverage Depot is currently on. So if you guys can see this here, um, and by the way, I didn't actually make these slides. Someone from our community made these slides and they did a co-presentation with Walker. And so uh, thank you, John McKeon, for creating these slides. So, but uh, in any case, you know, it's, it's obviously inspired from our content. Walker likes to uh, famously present from, you know, a, a OneNote and just keep it really, you know, no PowerPoints and nothing crazy, but I did actually like this slide. So over here on the left, you have the automation stack. And, um, you know, we've done a lot of videos about this, but I'll keep it short. These are, we, these are all, each one of these devices, each one of these layers in your business from your PLCs to your SCADA system, your MES system, which kind of sits in between the blue line and the orange line, which, you know, this is your plant floor from the blue line down and from the orange line up, that's kind of your enterprise, your, your IT network. And you kind of have your manufacturing execution system here in the middle, kind of relaying information. You know, a lot of times this is paper. Uh, so, and a lot of times this is completely air gapped, you know, or well, spreadsheets. The yeah, problem is spreadsheets with lots yeah. of macros. <laughs> That's what we've got. Yeah. So the problem is you can't, you can't digitally tra transform an organization like that. I mean, it's obvious, right? Yeah. So, you know, Facebook yeah. is, Facebook is not keeping our user data in a spreadsheet, right? They're not, you know, typing in a new line every time a new person signs up. So what is it that makes, you know, what is it that makes this possible, right? Uh, you know, what is this edge device and, and what is this over here on the right, this unified namespace? How do we get from over here to over here? So we actually teach, um, there's, there's really only four things to create a unified namespace. People ask all the time, hey, Zach, can, you know, is SAP, is SAP S4 HANA a unified namespace? Is WinCCOA, is it a unified namespace? The answer is yes, actually. Uh, famously, inductive automation's Ignition, and, um, you know, more recently, Factory Studio's frameworks, you know, TAT, or Tatsoft's frameworks platform are 
you know, kind of the go-to platforms for creating your IIoT unified namespace. But really to be a unified namespace, to create an IIoT ecosystem, you really only need four minimum technical requirements. You can have more, right? American Beverage Depot can choose to add a fifth one if they wanted to, but they really need these four. And the four minimum technical requirements are, it's gotta be edge driven, right? So what does that mean, right? The, the configuration is done from the edge side, not the server side. So in the same way, when a user goes and signs up for Facebook, it's edge driven, right? I go to Facebook, I'm from the edge, Facebook's the server. I go to Facebook, I sign up and create a new account. Facebook didn't have to do anything. I'm automatically plugged into the network, right? So you gotta be edge driven. You gotta be report by exception, right? So that's the second one. Report by exception means you're only reporting data that changes, right? And it's being reported from the edge, published into, this, into, the, um, into the unified namespace. Why is edge-driven matter? Because if you, if you connect everything in your network, then if it's not edge-driven, if you're sending all the data, you'll run into bandwidth issues, right? Um, it's just too much data, you know? Uh, so it's really important that these edge devices right here are only reporting the data that changes when it changes. The third minimum technical requirement, so you got edge driven report by exception, it's got to be lightweight. In addition to one and two, you still got to have that third component. It's got to be a lightweight payload, right? Uh, a lot of people talk about OPC UA, um, you know, because it's so common. Um, and, but, you know, OPC UA by, you know, the, in the standard implementation fails on edge, or it fails on edge driven and it fails on report by exception. OPC UA is nine times out of 10, you know, probably 99 times out of hundred configured server side pull response. So every time you add a new piece of equipment on your, on your plant floor, you got to go into your OPC UA server. You got to enter in the device. You've got to add, you know, sometimes you've got to add the tags, not always, but if you don't add the tags, your clients that are connecting to your OPC UA server have to know what those tags are, right? There's no self-discovery going on, right? Um, that's edge-driven, right? Self-discovery self comes from edge-driven. If it's server-driven, you have to know what to put into the server. So it's not scalable. <laughs> um, and then the last but not least, it's got to be open architecture. It's got to play nice with everything. You could have one, two, and three. But if it's not an open architecture, you're just creating another data silo. Why does open architecture matter? Why, why can't I just go to Rockwell and get the connected enterprise? Well, two reasons. One, you're gonna, you're gonna run out of money before you digitally transform your whole organization. But two, Rockwell doesn't, Rockwell doesn't make all the best, best in class products at every layer in the stack, right? Rockwell, well, actually, no, it's not Rockwell. It's Alan Bradley makes some of the best PLCs on the planet, you know? We wish they were a little bit more, um, adopting MQTT and Sparkplug beyond the edge, but, but you know, we'll, we'll live with it for now, you know, because we can easily put in an edge gateway, right? We're willing, to, we're willing to accept the fact that these Allen Bradley PLCs don't have the, the minimum technical requirements yet because they're just such a good PLC and we're so familiar with them and they do the job. We can put in a low cost edge gateway and that edge gateway, this edge device right here, may be connecting to your, um, it's probably connecting it uh, to it over, over OPC UA. Well, obviously if it's an Allen Bradley, it is. But even if this was like a, let's say you had a 10 smart PLCs all on the line here, you could still put an ignition and, and pull those PLCs with OPC UA if you wanted to, right? You've already got that set up. So what I would argue or what I would suggest or what I would say is 
your ignition server is actually your edge gateway, Frank. Mm -hmm. Your ignition server becomes your edge gateway. And what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to take all that, you know, so you can, from everything to the left, it can be pull response, it could be Modbus, it can be, you know, the traditional legacy stuff. But everything going forward is either going to be a smart device natively, or you're going to put in an edge device to publish it, convert it into your IIoT ecosystem, right? It doesn't have to be MQTT. We like MQTT because it's one of the best right now, but you know, it's, it's got to just be edge driven report by exception, lightweight and open architecture. And then you can create this ecosystem and that's where the magic happens. Right. And some people just really don't get that, you know, just installing ignition, right. Doesn't, doesn't mean you digitally transformed, right. It's a, it's, it goes back to that strategy, right. What is your digital strategy? Um, and, and I'll kind of go into the steps to digital transformation next, and, and we'll kind of see what that strategy looks like when you're digitally transforming. But if there are any questions, please do leave them in the chat, and I will, you know, answer them. And I will make these slides available, too. Uh, Vlad said, some of my customers that are Fortune 500 are using whiteboards for capturing line production <laughs> metrics. Yeah, see, that's, that's going to fail, you know, um, because it's not it's not edge driven, right? It's, you got to manually write it there and all, and all those things, right? So let's move on to the next slide here. So what are the steps? These are the steps and keys to digital transformation. What is it and how to, and how to achieve it? This is how you become the one in 10 that succeeds. It's real simple. Number one, digital transformation is a strategy, not a project, right? There is no beginning. Well, except for when you admit you have a problem and you start it. So that's, that could be the beginning, right? If you don't admit you have a problem, it's the beginning of the end for you. You're going to be one of those companies that goes out of business or, or gets acquired. So you got to understand that it's a strategy. It's not a project. It has no end. It's in continuous iteration and it's in continuous development. Number two, transformation of the way manufacturers operate their business. Industry 3.0 was all about changing the way manufacturers operated their production line. Industry 4.0 is changing the way they operate their business, right? If this was 20 years ago, we wouldn't have been talking about connecting QuickBooks to your PLCs. You would have probably, you just would have thought you're crazy, you know? But now you have to do this to, to stay in business, to stay competitive, right? You know, American Beverage Depot is in a position where they could become the most competitive supplier of that what's the name of that packaging uh well tetra packs but but they also make water and just bottled juice and the, the whole works pretty much anything that any bottler does yeah excellent so obviously being more efficient and and, and reducing downtime and and connecting your data and reducing integration costs is gonna you know it's gonna make that business obviously do better but in those tetra packs American Beverage Depot has the opportunity to be the gold standard for Tetra Packs, right? They could be the model. They could be one of, they could be the one that, that doesn't go out of business and they could be acquiring all the other 10 Tetra Pack manufacturers that failed to transform, right? So you gotta be thinking about this when you're building your architecture, you gotta be building it for scale, right? You gotta be building it for, for the future, right? I mean, there's, you know, it's, you don't have to be like, oh, I wanna take over the world or anything like that, no. Industry 4.0 is all about creating an ecosystem of people too, right? It's not just software and hardware, it's people, right? So it's a beautiful thing. I really love it. So last but not least, number three, it starts with admitting there's a problem. If you don't admit there's a problem and you just 
call us up and say, hey, Zach, I, I want ignition and here's how I want you to do it. And <laughs> probably won't even pick up the phone, to be honest, but that's not the way that we work. We work with clients that come to us and admit that they have a problem, right? They've watched our content, they've gone through the mini course, they, you know, they've done their research and now they're ready to, they're ready to take that first step. Most integrators would be happy to take a PO for a proof of concept and just get started right away. But we really urge and recommend clients integrate on the, both our, our, our students and our integrators in our, in our mastermind community and also um, manufacturers that we work with. We don't do any integration projects at 4.0 Solutions. We only do training for other integrators and, and training for end users. And, but we also do assessments, right? So this is that first, an assessment is the first step in a digital transformation project or, you know, implementation, right? It's not a project, right? But it's, it's the start of your digital transformation is a digital transformation maturity assessment. And it starts uh, by inventorying the business, inventorying the intelligence. These are all the inventorying the business is all the, you know, that slide that you showed with all the, you know, the, the, the manufacturing workflow that's inventorying your business. Inventorying the intelligence is what are the PLCs I've got on my lines? What is the, um, you know, what is the software? I'm using Ignition here for SCADA. I'm using, you know, some custom code here for my WMS. I'm using, uh, you know, QuickBooks for ERP. That's inventorying the intelligence. The third step, and that's kind of where the, 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 the DTMA would kind of end there, right? We'd inventory the business, inventory the intelligence, and then we would take what we learned and we would write a roadmap for success. And in that roadmap for success, right? there's gonna be a proof of concept, right? This is the area in the business that we've identified is the highest opportunity for impact, right? You can do a proof of concept anywhere, but ideally you need to start in the highest impact part of the business to get value as quickly as possible and use that value to fund your additional transformation, right? Digital transformation doesn't start with a million dollar PO. Digital transformation starts with a, you know, a $10,000 or $20,000 assessment. And then it starts with probably, you know, $25,000, $50,000 proof of concept, right? Ignition's getting a little more expensive, right? You got to get some licensing and you got to get some development, right? But because you've laid the foundation, you've inventoried the business, you've inventoried the intelligence, you've talked with every, uh, all the five cross-sectional groups in your, in your organization, your leadership, your engineering, your IT operations, and your quality departments, you've you've done this assessment with all of those separate groups. You've taught them what it is that you're doing. You're, you've taught them what industry 3.0 is. You've taught them what industry 4.0 is, and you've listened to all their problems. So you, as the solutions architect, you've identified by going through this process, one, that the client knows that they've got a problem and they're coming to you for help, right? They've, they got the right partner. Um, so, so, so that's really like, um, lubing the runway for success. You know, it's like, it's like loading the spring, you know, it's, you know, if it's like an aircraft carrier, right. It's like, you know, it's launching off, right. If you don't do the DTMA, it'd be like going on an aircraft carrier and just, you know, trying to go full throttle and take off. You're just going to go right off the edge. So you got to load that spring, you know, you got to get all the stakeholders on board. You got to teach them digital transformations, mostly just teaching what teaching everyone what, what actually the digital strategy is. So they're all on the same page, right? So then that's where you kind of get into this step four, which is integrating all of that information into the unified namespace. And that's where you're at, Frank. 
and and you know and and with your client you're you're already in this iterative process right you say you know he's he's developing they've already got the agile mindset it's not a waterfall project it's an agile project it's it's a it's a it's a flywheel it's a continuous so development you mentioned your structure uh, one of the really nice things and i've just kind of lucked into this they're not a very big company they probably have 100 employees including warehouse people and everything uh, not a lot of people on the plant floor but the IT department and the engineering department is myself and Juan Pablo. Uh, there are a few other people that can modify PLCs and we have brought, uh, you know, contractors from the outside to get, especially put new controllers out there to grab information from facilities equipment. You know, we're, we're grabbing power grid information. We're grabbing water temperatures from the cooling towers and things like that, because we need all of that. And you, you were talking about how you iterate into, uh, you know, you present the information and iterate because he's the owner of the plant. He knows what they need. And some things have come up like our sales guy needs to know the cost of making the juice, not only from the standpoint of the contents that go into the juice, which comes from the uh, ERP system, right? You, the, how much did this drum of, of uh, nectar cost? But also, how much, uh, what is the overhead of this plant? So, you know, you have secretaries and you have, uh, uh, gosh, the cost of water and a lot of things that are pretty constant through the day. What, uh, what do those things cost? Those come from QuickBooks. And we've talked about, you know, uh, the security aspect. Do you really want uh, all the uh, the overhead information to be available for everybody. Everybody can go drill in there and look at the salaries that are being paid to the, uh, the management and things like that, right? But they do represent overhead and they do get recalculated uh, pretty regularly. You bring up a good point. Yeah. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Um, so we, are, we, have, we actually operate off of five core values. I'm only going to mention one, which is transparency. And Tesla operates the same way the the the... Uh, the technician, they don't call them operators, the technician that's on the end of the Model S line or, you know, Model Y in Berlin and all every line, they have the exact cost, not just of the materials, but of the labor of, of that went into that specific car, not at the end of the quarter, but in real time. And they, Tesla had knows that with that information, right, if you're a transparent organization, you don't care that you know, you know that the executives are making three hundred fifty thousand a year, and the engineers are making one hundred fifty, and you know the operators are making seventy or whatever, right? Like, it's a transparent organization; it's all out there, anyways. So, if they're not, there's obviously security that can be put into place to make it such that roles and responsibilities are adhered to, right? That's all within part of your IoT platform. But um, I'm going to say this: you said you know your client knows what they want, right? But what Partly. they want is a function of what they know. <laughs> and, right. and when you get in, when you get into this iterative phase, you're continually, you're continually presenting new information. You just presented, you know, the other day, the costing on, you know, what is that barrel cost, right? Or what is our overhead on this actual machine? You're presenting, you're continually presenting new information. And from that new information, your customer is learning from that knowledge, not just you know, the plant owner, but every stakeholder in the plant. And what may, what may matter to one stakeholder may not matter to another, right? So that's why you got to put it all out there for the stakeholders to decide what's important to them, you know? They're going to learn from that knowledge. 
and they're going to come up with new ideas. Your employees are, you know, your, your operators are your smartest people on your business, right? You got to enable them to solve problems. That's one of the questions we ask when we're doing a DTMA with our clients in the executive leadership team. The first question we ask is, do you realize, or do you think you're the smartest people in the organization? Or do you acknowledge that your operators are, right? I mean, we don't phrase it like that, but we let them ask. And then they always inevitably say, yeah, of course they're the smartest people. But then we ask again, and it's really up to the architect to determine whether or not they're telling you the truth, right? So um, we've done DTMAs with clients where we don't work with them after, you know? It saves us a lot of time and headache had we not, you know, had we started a proof of concept, that would have been a much bigger headache, right? We do a DTMA with a client, we, we provide some value, we get them on the right track, but we, you know, we identified there's some issues that, you know, the client, the client, maybe they, they don't have the right values, right? Their values don't, it, it becomes apparent in the DTMA that they don't, you know, they, they're the type of company that extorts their operators that, you know, it's not the type of company that we want to work with. So, so once you learn from that new knowledge, right, you get new ideas, you, you grab some new data, you get a new edge device and you publish that data into your unified namespace, you expand the unified namespace, which then goes back into presenting new information and continuing, continuing the cycle. So once you're in this iterative process, the goal is to really go step-by-step step to, to achieving the holy grail. The, this is the holy grail of manufacturing. This is the, if you learn anything, if you take away anything from this presentation, you should take away the definition of the manufacturing holy grail because I haven't really seen it defined anywhere else. Um, so number one, your business is connected. Everything and everyone is plugged into the network. All the people, software and hardware, all the stakeholders are all connected. They're all integrated, right? They're all integrated into a single unified namespace where all data and information, where all data and information can be accessible. Number three, your stakeholders are informed in real time. What does that mean, right? Your, your, your reports operate off of real time data and they're continually updating. They're not, uh, they're not a report that's generated on a Monday morning for last week's production data. Right? Why does that matter? Because the shorter you can make that delta where you're iterating, the obviously the quicker you can scale. Right? If you take two years to do one iteration, you're not iterating very fast. Right? I know that's an extreme example, but you would be surprised. Some people start projects and they, you know, they go off into the sun for so they work. They, you know, they go away. They hide in their their den and they build this monolith. Right? They do all the manual integration. They deploy it, and then they wonder why it fails. <laughs> You know, 18 months later, they deploy it and they wonder why it failed. When we're doing these iterative process, this is typically like a, a four to six week sprint where we have clearly defined deliverables. We, you know, we want to add in this new asset. We want to present this new dashboard and we want to do, you know, some, some training with the, with, with your operators on this new scheduling system or whatever. Boom. It's four to six weeks. Let's say, you know, whatever your hourly rate is, you know, you get a PO for like not a, I mean, it's not a huge PO, right? I mean, you're not having your, every time that you're doing a new iterative, and this is kind of more on like the integration side, like how does the business side work? You know, you're, you're working with your client and you're providing value at every step of the way, such that the next PO is like, they can't wait to get to it. Cause they're like, they're just excited to work with you and expand the unified namespace. Right. But, you know, like I said before, digital transformation doesn't start with a million dollar PO, right? It starts with a, with a DTMA. And it, and it just goes step by step, chunk by chunk, providing value at every step of the way in an iterative and agile 
development cycle. And so, you know, that, that, that allows you to number four in the manufacturing, uh, Holy grail, you're displaying the current state in real time, right? You've got all that information. You're displaying the current state of the business in real time. That is the current state of the machines, the current state of the employees, the current state of the financials, right? But you're not only displaying the current state, number five, you're displaying the future state. You're displaying the future state in real time too, right? You're not doing a, you're not doing some study on some data set and running some, crunching some numbers and then boom, producing a result that's the future state in a snapshot. You're, you know, and this is further down the road, right? This is when you've already got the unified namespace. This is when you're publishing your data into like a cloud ecosystem like AWS to leverage their machine learning tools. But you're using those machine learning tools to create models and to create predictions about the future state of your business and you're making that a future state of your business available to your to all your stakeholders in real time. That's that's really important, right? I'll give you a little different perspective here. Um, one, you, you were mentioning the operators. Uh, I doubt that there is an operator in that plant that's been there for more than a year. It's constant turnover. This is in the very uh, Latin part of Miami, and a lot of the people that come in there. Um, get either poached by other companies because they pay more. So Niagara and some of the bigger bottlers are in the area. And uh, this is an entirely pretty much Spanish speaking plant. So the input, really the operators rarely know a lot of what's going on. Most of the, what I would call the, the upper left, you know, some operators are just moving boxes. Those operators, they're, they're manual labor mostly. The people that actually run the lines, there's probably one or two to three maintenance people, uh, you know, running around the plant at, at some given time, including the maintenance manager who's pretty hands-on. Um, those people is closer to what I would call operators, even though they're they're actual, they can fix things. They can, uh, a few of them are even a little bit PLC literate, although it's pretty rare that they need to go in and change everything. We have good message displays and things on the local HMIs to tell them what's wrong with the machines. Uh, one of the things we're transitioning into is grabbing all of the current production data and putting it on a great big old screen so that mostly those maintenance guys can look up, but also we're getting a little bit of competition going between, hey, the last guys uh, achieved this output on the PET line they're about to move over to the Tetra line too, and they're gonna try to beat the previous uh, guys on Tetra line two in keeping that thing up and producing and getting done. And so you were talking about forecasting. We, we are already doing some of that, but of course it's by hand and it's on Excel spreadsheets. There's some pretty elaborate macros that the plant manager runs on those. And what we're trying to do is bring all the stuff that he's created over probably 15 years of being the plant manager and creating these spreadsheets and bring them into the ignition platform with all the tags and data that we have in real time and minimize the amount that he has to go in there. It's really yeah. nice to say that you can drop, you know, $500,000 on a project. Their margins are very low. Like I said, they get beat up by the local Niagara and Nestle plants that come in and just poach their employees. They just, they can pay more. 
Um, these guys are small and they know they're small, so they kind of make use of it. And it's more like a McDonald's thing. You bring an operator in there and you make it as simple as you can for that operator to, to keep the palletizer running or, or uh, run the, the juice production machines or the boxing machines, the fillers, whatever it is. Uh, and Ex when they leave, exactly. you deal with it. You, you deal with it and you get a new guy. <laughs> right. Uh, and you plug him in. And that's really all they can do right now. They don't have a ton of money to put it. But the fortunate part is, like I said, there's maybe five or six people that I would call stakeholders. And then there's and like I said, the, the important operators from our standpoint are the ones that are there for years. And, you know, they're, they're really more a maintenance guys. They're from Argentina, which is where the plant was originally from. And it's really important that um, Yes, that they're that they have buy-in, right? One of the things mm -hmm. I posted about before is if you don't have buy-in from the plant floor workers, uh, they're going to think that you're just part of a, you know, you're running something that's like a special club, and they're not part of it. They're, that, that's one of the, my complaints about Six Sigma. You know, you have the green belts and the black belts, and they're all over there talking about all the fancy stuff they're doing, and everybody else feels left out. So we're really mm -hmm. trying to bring the guys that are there for years into this process and get feedback from them. What information do you need, right? To keep your stuff running, so. And I wouldn't be surprised if you actually got a longer retention out of involving some of those early stage employees in the process too, right? Engaging them. Everyone's a stakeholder. No human being is, is, is dumb, you know what I'm saying? Like everyone can provide value. They may not be in the right job, right? I think that a human being could provide a lot more value than kicking a box and you know moving it at the end of the line, but that may be the state of the business right now, but it's not the future state of the business. That employee is not gonna get replaced. That employee is gonna get reappropriated and leveraged for here's the, Here's power. the interesting part. So Innovation happens on the plant floor, right? Yeah, and you said that. Right? Their workers, many of them are awaiting papers. In other words, they get them because they're not theoretically, um, they can work under some, you know, they have some kind of a visa maybe or, but they don't have their green cards yet. They don't have permission to be here. As soon as they, they get that permission, they usually find other things to do. So, and, and that, that's not my oh, that's decision. Unfortunate. That's, yeah. that's the way they run things. So it's kind of been a stopping point for when people get legally able to work for some of the bigger companies and then they move on. It's just the the practical side of it. Now, would we like it to be something different? Would the owners like it to be something different? I'm sure they would, but right now I don't think they have a method to accomplish that, if it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, the method would be number three, starting with admitting there's a problem. If they're fine with that turnover, then, then there's no problem, right? I obviously, you know, think that, I think that that's a problem, but, you know, how, how, how we go about solving that, you know, my approach might be different what, than what their approach is. But, you know, I would, I would start with the approach of like treating the employees um, as all stakeholders, you know, giving them that information they need, going away from that Six Sigma approach where the mm -hmm. carpeted side of the business is somehow so much more important than the, than the, than the, uh, the concrete side of the business, right? The OT side. That's, that's what's disengaging the operators, right? I'm not saying that, that you know, you guys are doing that, but, um, you know, like this prediction, right? Number six, prediction. It's not prediction happening in a data center uh, on some, you know, graph that a data analyst come up with. It's a prediction that shows to the operator in real time, hey, this machine is going to go down in the next hour if you don't replace this bearing. 
Like that's something anyone can understand what, like that's very intuitive, right? You know, it's getting that information from the cloud and rolling it back down to the edge. Everyone wants to go edge to cloud, but everyone forgets about cloud to edge. You need to get that context from your cloud and roll it back down to the edge. So those predictions can actually be available to your operators in real time. Um, so that's prediction. And then seven, that's the recommendation piece. Recommend we replace the bearing, right? Recommend preventative maintenance. There's recommendation going on. But last but not least, number eight, this is where the human being comes in. That recommendation from machine learning and AI is just that. It's just a recommendation to the operator. The human being takes their unique ability to process data in, in, in a way unlike any other computer can, um, and I truly believe ever will be able to, the human being gets to decide what gets executed, right? So that is the manufacturing holy grail. And to kind of summarize it all again, your business is fully connected. All the people, all the smart things, the people, hardware and software in your business are connected. They're integrated and they're, your stakeholders are informed in real time because they're connected and because they're integrated, your stakeholders can be informed in real time of the current state, but not only the current state informed of the future state of the business in real time. With that future state information, you, you know, and this could be other applications calculating this too, by the way, right? Your, your AWS machine learning app application could come up with a, a prediction and then another piece of software could come up with the recommendation based on that prediction. And you can't do that, right? That's why you need the unified namespace because you're building these tools. You're building the digital version of your business. You're automating the business, right? So there's prediction going on and there's recommendation. And then last but not least, your operators get to um, actually do what they're best at, which is be smart, creative, and insightful human beings. So that is the manufacturing holy grail. It's, uh, you know, it's an, there isn't actually not a finish line. It just continues to go. But um, this is why when people say industry 5.0, I just fucking laugh because no one has this right now, right? If this is the end goal of industry 4.0, show me one fucking company that has anything close to this. Well, it's Tesla and it's Amazon, right? But there's still a lot more prediction and a lot more recommendation that could be going on. You know what I'm saying? So it's, uh, this, is, this is it, right? This is the digitalization. Well, not just digitalization because that's just like talking about taking a piece of paper and turning it into a digital piece of paper but this is the digital transformation it's coming in as a as a you know as a caterpillar and it's going out as a butterfly and if people laugh and they think that's funny right some people say digital transformation is continuous improvement and it's, it's literally not there is a mindset shift there's a transformation and there's you know that that needs to occur and that's why you know nine out of ten companies fail in this process. So um, I do want to show this last slide here. This is kind of like a little bonus. So I talked a little bit earlier about, you know, your, your ignition gateway, especially because it's using OPC UA to talk to your PLCs, you know, that's, um, it's really kind of set up as your edge device, which then would allow, so this would kind of be your local unified namespace. This would be your ignition gateway right here. And, you know, if you only have one plant, then it's only going to ever look like well, you see, I hope you're here on the left, but real easily they could scale out to plant two, plant three, right? Or, you know, maybe this is just line one, this same architecture, it kind of creates like a, a tree architecture where you can build, you can build unified namespaces up to where you get your enterprise unified namespace, and then you can roll it back down to your plant layer. Um, but I hope I didn't go too long. Uh, no, I hope that I was that, valuable. I think that yeah. was good. And a lot of times we do go a little bit over 
Uh, you were talking about the prediction. One of the things that uh, came to mind there is I, I also work with a very high tech local company here called Automation NTH, and they build some of that prediction into their machinery. Uh, they do a lot of work for pharmaceutical companies and the pharmaceutical comp their biggest customer is Dexcom. Uh, and I've had, you know, uh, NTH on here and we've talked about that, but ignitions on every machine. And a lot of what they do is like, rather than an alarm that something is too hot, you have uh, approaching data points where you have consecutive readings where you know, the slope is getting too large. So you're doing predictions based on that. That's awesome. Yeah. You're taking yeah, the derivative. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was actually, um, this is a little, uh, we did this like in a demo where, you know, let's say you're doing a sales pitch or not a sales pitch, but you're, you're trying to get buy-in from, from, um, you know, a team, you're doing a presentation and you're like, Hey, what is, why, why am I going to do this? What's the value? You find a problem that they've had for like 10 years and you solve it in 10 minutes. Right. Exactly. And, and for an oil and gas company, in this case, it happened to be time and tank, right? That's almost the same exact problem, right? The operator doesn't care that he's two inches away from the high level if the level's not even moving, right? Exactly. But he definitely cares if they're 50% full and that thing's going to overflow in the next two hours, right? So real easily by leveraging the unified namespace, you're able to take that information, create new context and publish it back into the unified namespace for publishing and, and making available to your operators in a way that wasn't possible before. Yeah. And honestly, we didn't think of a lot of that until watching a lot of Walker's presentations and realizing that yes, publishing back things back into the namespace. So some other application can grab it and deal with it. Uh, now, a lot of what we're doing is trying to duplicate what the plant manager has done with a lot of his predictive things in the, you know, uh, but we're going to take, uh, that's why I really appreciate the input from you guys. And I would love to have the time to actually join some of these things like the mentorship uh, mastermind program. But unfortunately, I'm also involved in other things um, and I and have to service those. But it's possible that Juan Pablo himself will, will come join it because he's the one who really, uh, that's where the rubber meets the road. Uh, when I finish up here, by the way, uh, for those who didn't know, I write books. Uh, I've published several of them and that's what these are uh i am coming out with a new one in 2021 writing it partially because of automation nth they need it for dexcom so we're putting together a uh troubleshooting course and uh, industrial maintenance course and including a lot of this kind of 4.0 terminology which is where this comes in uh you know a lot of these things like talking about mqtt node red uh Gosh, Gosh, I forget, I forget. Uh, OSI Pi, PTC, a lot of the, the things, things that came up yesterday, yesterday, you know, that Walker, Walker talks, talks fast. fast. He comes up with lots of stuff. And every time he mentions something new that I don't maybe know something about, I throw it into this industrial acronyms and definitions as much for Juan Pablo or some of the plant floor people as anybody else so that they know what's going on. Um, you'll have to send me an email for that. For those of you who are watching, uh, you know, on YouTube or whatever, uh, shoot me an email and I'll send you the current version. I put nine July on there because I added four or five more acronyms. It's about 12 pages long now, and it's going to make its way into some of these other documents. As far as everything else, uh, I do post this on uh, YouTube when I'm done. I, I don't, you know, if you look up automation consulting, which is my company name, you will find the YouTube channel, but I usually just tell people type that word in and you'll find me that way. 
And mostly what's on there, I do have some, you know, free PLC training things on there, whatever, but uh, I also uh, post all these webinars on there. And of course, I also post it in the Automation Academy. I don't see anybody on this list that is a member of the Automation Academy right now, but they're used to grabbing it from there. I just stick the webinars on there along with all my other courses and things like that. Uh, I'd like to thank a couple of people I see here that I see regularly, Vlad. Right, guys, and that's pretty much the end of the stream. I hope that was uh, valuable. I thought it was pretty valuable. Thank you, Frank, for again having me on. Um, Juan, Juan Pablo, would love to have you in our programs. Anyone, actually, we'd love to have you in our programs. Uh, right now, you can join the Mastermind program uh, at the link in the description below. Or if you guys are just interested in learning more, I do have a Calendly link. You guys can book a call with me, and I'd love to get to know about your business and how we can help you. Um, you know, reach your industry 4.0 goals. And um, we'll see you guys next week on the weekly live Q&A. Peace.